You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the fifth chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Sydney. I'm Nia. And I'm Annie. In today's chapter, our bookstack is focused around our favorite beautifully written books. Wordsmithing is nothing new. 800 to 1,000 new words are added each year to the English dictionary, and 1,700 words in our language were crafted by Shakespeare alone. But with an ever-growing lexicon to pull from, writers are constantly searching for the perfect connotations, alliterations, assonance, and consonants, rhyme, meter, and meaning. Today, our stack looks at some of our favorite books that we feel are simply beautiful, thanks to the art and craft of authors and their written word. Nia, what's in your stack? Well, uh, the first book I have in my stack is called Dreams Underfoot, and it's by Charles DeLint. This came out in 2003, and it's a collection of short stories um, set in a place called Newford. And Is Newford real, or is it? It's, it's a fictional place, but it feels like it's your small town. Okay. Like that's, that's one of the things I love about the way um, Charles Dolent writes is they are an absolute delight to read. He creates this world that you know is fiction. I mean, you have magical creatures and magical things going on. You know, it's fiction, but you feel like it is real. And it is absolutely just, I get sucked in every time. Um, I actually had this book in my car for a long time because when you get stuck somewhere, I used to get stuck behind trains when I would go run errands along the west side of Salt Lake. And it wasn't a big deal because, you know, back before you had the fancier smartphones, I had a book of short stories. I could just pull that bad boy out and read these. And you jump in and you feel like you know the characters. You just, they, it's hard to describe the feeling that this book leaves you with because it feels like he's writing for real people in real stories, but you know, they're not, but maybe they are. That sounds um, he's, fantastic. I love this stuff. I'm smiling. Like I you know. can't hear my smile, but I'm smiling so hard. I am too. I'm like, I want to go to there. Yeah. It's I've read one of his books that was, I think four or 500 pages. It was an ebook. So I didn't realize how big it was. I just got completely absorbed into way. it. It's true. <laughs> um, I felt like a jerk though, because I recommended it as a book club book, not realizing how big it was. <laughs> Her book club never met again. I, I feel like I kind of destroyed it, not realizing how big the book was. Oh, that's so um, sad. Yeah. I mean, if you can kill a book club with a 400 page book, maybe it wasn't a good book club to begin with. That's it's true. true. So um, I, he's one of my favorite authors. I absolutely love him. He just, uh, beautiful imagery. I highly recommend him. If you're looking for something just really light and just, I mean, they have good stories and they, they carry, and you've got some of his longer stories that also pull in from these shorts, but this is a really good way to get into his world is just this collection of short stories. The second book on my list is actually an elementary, junior high, middle school age type book. It's for eight to 12 year olds. So it's kind of on that cusp. It's called Every Single Second by Trisha Springstub, and it came out in 2016. Uh, it was very poignant when it came out. I mean, it's a, oh, a tougher subject. It's written from the perspective of a child where there was an accidental shooting in their neighborhood. And it talks about all of racial complexities and the class complexities that come into this from her perspective and how it affects a friendship. And so it's oh. very, like it deals with some really big complex stuff that you get a lot more of as an adult than you would as a kid, but it's a really gentle way to introduce that. But the way that it's written, the whole concept is one of her friends is really focused on there's a new, there's going to be one more second added 
because they've done all the math and there's going to be an extra second happening this year. And what are you going to do in that one single second of extra time that you were going to get? That sounds like such a, that's just the right age for someone to be thinking, to do all the math and go, man, we have one extra second. One extra, what are you going to do with that one magical? Yeah. So, but it's also a single second can turn everything upside down and be really horrible, but it, it talks about a lot of that stuff and it's really, really well-written. You don't really understand exactly what's happened because of the way that it, it tells the story until you get to the end. Oh, so, and despite it being a heavy, like there's a heavy premise underneath there, it ends on that sense of whimsy of you have a single, what are you going to do with that extra second? Like we get an extra second, what's going to happen? And that's the, the feel you get when you finish it. So it's just, it, it's really powerful and I really enjoyed it. Just, I haven't, I haven't found a book that's written quite like that. So, and if you're looking for something for your kids, this is a good one. Um, yeah, I'm writing it down right now. Yeah. The last one, this is another new one came out last year. It's called The Lost Apothecary. I love that word. I right? Just, it's such, oh, it a, is a beautiful, it's such word. a beautiful word. And it and the just covers is. really pretty too. So okay, right. I got hooked. sucked in by the cover. I'm hooked. Tell me more, <laughs> um, Tell me more. This one has two different stories happening at the same time um, hmm. set in London. So the first story plot is set in 1791 in a hidden alley that's in the heart of London. And there's this little apothecary. And it is run by a woman who provides solutions to female maladies. That could be anything from basic period assistance to helping with abortions. But she has also started doing something else, which is providing poisons to help women with problems. Okay. So So she does all the help. All the things. And she's got a really heartbreaking story that kind of gets told as you go on too of why she switched from being just a straight up holistic apothecary to that's the lady you go to when you have to have something permanently taken care of. But her poisons, she keeps a ledger of everything, of everyone who's been there and what she gave, because that's what you do. You keep that kind of ledger. But she had two rules and the rules were the poison must never be used to harm another woman and the names of the murderer who she who the victim is going to be and the murderer must be in her book they have to be recorded interesting so Hmm. um but things start to go a little awry when a 12 year old comes in to make a purchase for someone and it just the book spirals from there on that particular timeline then you switch to present day where you have a woman who's visiting london for what should have been her 10th wedding anniversary but she's there by herself trying to figure out maybe what's going on. You know, she would be one of these women that would come and see this apothecary. She ends up digging in the mud in the Thames to go see on one of these little junk tours that happens and gets thrown into a historic mystery that looks back at what happened in 1791. And it is really, really well done. I mean, you are sucked into the pages and so invested in Nella who runs the apothecary and Eliza, the child that comes to her to get that poison that triggers everything that happens afterwards. And Caroline, who's in the modern times. I mean, you are just, and they all interact, even though they're hundreds of years apart. So I like stories that do that. And the ending, I did not see the ending coming for the past plot, past timeline. I was very happy with how Caroline's story ends. Really paced well. This is her, this is the author's debut album. You'd never know it because it's written so well and so on point. Highly, highly recommend that one. It was just, oh, so good. It was so good. It's not cozy mystery light. 
because if you read a cozy mystery, it's kind of like you read Agatha Christie, but it's, you know, not a big deal. I mean, even lighter than Agatha Christie. Okay. But if I was to say this book's like a cup of coffee, I'd say it had heavy dollop, a half and half. That's just enough to cut the acidity, but not too much to, it's enough to let the, the flavor of the coffee come through. It's really, really good. I like this one. I liked the metaphor of the coffee. That was that was fun. So that's my stack. I love Sydney. That. What do you have? So in a previous chapter, I talked about how I used to just solely read escapist fantasy books and I, I didn't re- ever read anything really real. And so for this stack, I pulled from that experience of, of escapist because there were some books that I read when I was really, really into, especially YA fantasy that I was reading so that I could give recommendations to students. I did that for years where I would read books and be like, oh guys, I read this book and you're going to love it because blank, blank, blank. Right. So the first book I pulled is King of Scars by Lee Bardugo. Now in chapter one, when we talked about origin stories, Annie brought up Shadow and Bone. And this is in the same world of Shadow and Bone. Uh, but it is after the events of that trilogy and it follows multiple storylines, but it centers around Nikolai, who is King of Ravka. And it has some incredibly beautifully written lines. There were, there were times when I read the book and I just stopped and went, oh, this was legitimately beautiful. This was, I've never stopped at a sentence and been like, wow, that was a beautifully written sentence. And I did that with this book for the first time ever. I will say I, I read the first um, Shadow and Bone. I I read that one for the story. I kept going for the writing. Yes. Uh, I read all of the Shadow and Bone. I went and read several of the series afterwards, and I noticed the same thing. Yeah, her it, writing yeah, her as writing she did get better. Her writing got better. I mean, it was good to begin with, but it just became incredible. And you have this incredible writing that's in addition to a really well-written story, dynamic characters, an evolving world building that continues to grow and, and impress you with a basis in Russian folklore, which you don't usually see in books that are, are out on our shelves at, at this time. But she, with this is her, the third series in this world. So you had the Shadow and Bone trilogy, and then you had the duology, Six of Crows. And then this is her third series. It's a duology and it starts with King of Scars. And you can really tell that she's found her footing. You can really see that evolution in her writing because there are sentences that are just so well wordsmithed and well-crafted and it's, they're beautiful. There's nothing in this duology that I don't love. There's nothing that makes me want to leave that world and come back despite the fact that it's in the middle of a war. Like there are really crazy things happening and I'm, I'm just so sucked in and, and I'm, I'm sold. Lee Bardugo is so clever and she has a constantly twisting of the plot where you can't just guess where everything's going to hit. And I I hate books where I can figure out what's going to happen before they happen. I have to, I, I want to, I want that surprise. I want that element of, oh, um, and Bardugo gives that. She gives those those fun twists. And this is one of those books that if you if you pick it up, pick it up when you have time because you're not going to want to put it down. I mean, you can, but you won't. So I mean, pick it's it up on a day where you where you have time to just lose yourself in this world. The second book in my in my stack today is one of my favorite books. It is a book that I think I've recommended 20 or 30 times to different teenagers as I have taught junior high and then high school. It's so much fun. It's The Girl of Fire and Thorns by Ray Carson. 
It's a beautifully written YA that opens up with this little princess. Well, she's not little at all, <laughs> but this princess that uh, it's on, it starts on her 16th birthday and no one remembers that it's her birthday. Kind of like a 16 candles style. Like everyone forgets to wish her a happy birthday, uh, but it's because it's, it's her wedding day and she's being wed to a king in a kingdom and to a man she's never met. She has a, her character flaw that becomes a significant obstacle in the book is that she is significantly overweight. She refers to herself in the first chapter as a stuffed sausage that wins herself going up a flight of stairs. You know, that's not something that we see very often in it's not. young adult fantasy. No, we really don't. We either no. don't hear what the physical makeup of these characters is and we just assume, or we're told that they can fit into these super tiny corsets and that they are, yeah. you know, size two little, shoe. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. They're, Ray Carson created a character that, that a lot of girls can see themselves in because they don't feel like that perfect little size zero or size two girl that the guys fawn after that could be the heroine of a story. You know, they feel like the side character in their own in their own narrative. And so you have this very relatable, very hard on herself main character that ends up going through some significant obstacles. And even though it's short because it is YA, it's still really well paced. You have this really good character development that happens through the book with the main character, the side characters, uh, not as much. They're rather flat. The main character is really the only dynamic character in the book, but it's not enough to turn me off of this book. I Love this. I was going to ask if that bothered you with having only one dynamic character. Normally it would. Normally that would be a really big flag for me, but because it's YA and because it is geared toward a very specific audience and because it has such brilliant character development that is internal character development as well as physical character development, I think it makes up for the static secondary characters. This book um, sounds fantastic and I wrote it down. I love this book because I think that providing YA books to teenagers at a time where, you know, they're trying to figure out how to push through hard things because they only see the successes and the results of things. They don't see how people have to push through hard things to get to that point. I think that this book is a really good example of pushing through hard things and figuring out how to get through when you really don't know what to do next, but there's no one to turn to. So I really, really liked this book. The it third book. amazing. It's a trilogy and it is worth every second. I have the original covers. I have the original hardbacks that are on my shelf that I display lovingly and proudly because it it, it is to this day, one of my favorite series. Wait, The Girl of Fire and Thorns is a series or your next one? The Girl of Fire and Thorns. There are three of them? There are three of them. And they've all come out? They're all out. Fantastic. <laughs> then I can just spend a whole weekend and read them all. And and you can do it in a weekend. They're, they're really short. They're only- Awesome. They're like 200 pages or something. Like they're- oh, Okay. That's doable. They're well-paced, so it's really easy to get through them quickly. Awesome. The last book in my stack is called Dark Breaks the Dawn. It's by Sarah B. Larson. This is the first book in a duology that is a YA fantasy retelling of Swan Lake. And so I was really torn whether to put it in this stack of beautifully written books or in our twists on lore stack in our chapter three. And ultimately I put it in this stack because of the writing. While it fit in both, Sarah B. Larson's writing is eloquent. It's Her writing is just very, very beautiful. It's fluid. You have this retelling of Swan Lake. The heroine is saving her kingdom as she comes into her powers. So there's quite a bit of fantasy that 
is adding a, a fun twist to something that's been told over and over again through ballet. You have adventure, you have romance, you have magic, you have intrigue, there's betrayal, because of course there's betrayal. It's the cornerstone of any good YA fantasy, right? Oh yeah. Larson spins a tale and the book definitely ends on a cliffhanger. It ends at a point where you're like, wait, why is this the end? Why is this where she stops? Luckily, both books are out. I'm going to say that's only okay <laughs> if all the books have come out. Agreed. Both books are out. They came out a couple years ago. So you can just take one day and just binge both to see how Princess Eveline saves the day. You can just handle it. Sarah Larson, her first series was the Defy trilogy, which is also really fun. But you see the mastery of her writing craft come through with this duology. The Defy trilogy was fun and it was exciting. And it was well-written. But when you get to this duology is when you see that wordsmithing and that mastercraft really come through. That's my stack. Annie, what about you? So I have three books. Um, the first one is... I just love this book. I love this book because of when I read it. I love it because of the setting. I just, and the way it's written. So the first book I chose is The Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. And this was originally published in 2008, but it just became a movie in 2019. A lot of people missed that it became a movie because, you know, things happened. Yeah. But that was, that was when uh, Milo. Yep. I can't say his then, last name either. Mm -hmm. The cute one that was originally in Heroes. And also Gilmore Girls. He played Jess. And also. Uh, this is Us. This is Us. Mm -hmm. yeah. He plays the dad. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah. So he anyway. plays the dad in this also. I have not seen the movie and I'm kind of afraid to because I, I don't want it to ruin the book for me. So this book honestly might be my favorite of all time. When I was teaching, I used it as both a really good story and also a really good example of writing. The story is told through the eyes of Enzo, who is the family dog. Oh. He doesn't talk and he doesn't have thumbs and that makes him very sad. <laughs> he says that. So it's not, he's not a magical dog that can talk. It's just kind of his thoughts uh, and how he sees the world. Uh, at the very beginning of the book, you know that he is dying as dogs do. And he's kind of narrating his life. So Denny is his human and he just goes through ups and downs of life. Uh, he's a dad. He has to deal with his in-laws, things happen, there's a custody battle, but nothing is really that, nothing's really that catastrophic. It's just, you know, things happen, life happened. One of the things that I really liked about this book is what Enzo calls Denny's in-laws and he calls them the twins because he's a dog and apparently to him, old people look the same. <laughs> they probably smell the same too and they probably smell the same and so every time they come over he's like oh and then the twins did this and you have to go back to remember who the twins are but I think man I wish I wish I could call people that thing sometimes instead of their names just how I see them that'd be great uh so I did pull a quote from this book and this is the opening paragraph pretty much again I use this as a tool to teach kids writing as much as a enjoyable literature experience. So here we go. Gestures are all that I have. Sometimes they must be grand in nature. I have no words I can rely on because much to my dismay, my tongue was designed long and flat and loose and therefore is a horribly ineffective tool for pushing food around my mouth while chewing and an even less effective tool for making clever and complicated polysyllabic sounds that can be linked together to form sentences. 
And that is why I'm here now waiting for Denny to come home. He should be here soon, lying on the cool tiles of the kitchen floor in a puddle of my own urine. <laughs> and that's how I pull people in as I say, let me read this to you. And then they go, wait, what? Hang on. That can't be mm, a person is lying in their own urine. I can say, is it a person? Is it? And then he goes on to talk about how he wants to die. Like the next paragraph is how he wants to die, uh, which as a dog can come in a variety of ways, but he does not want to be quote, shot full of pain medication and steroids to reduce the swelling of my joints. And then he goes on to how he would lose his eyesight and all these things that come from the, what we see as humane way to put an animal down. That sounds really heavy, very beautifully written, but very heavy. It is super heavy. It is really, really heavy, but I have never read a book told from any non-human narrator that I have enjoyed as much as this one. I think it's hard to find a well-written book that doesn't have a human narrator anyway, though. It is. Yeah. They're so, I mean, they're few and far between. It's a a challenge most people don't take on. And whenever I had students or anyone try, I'd say, you know, let's go back to this one. Let's use this as our master, you know, our master class. You don't know by the first paragraph what is talking. And so that this one will always remain at the top of my list because it's so well-written and so heavy, but also, I mean, (laughs) it's a heavy topic thinking about a dog dying. Yes. But then thinking... But then that just that first paragraph of a tongue that can't form words, it just, I don't know, it gets me every time. I I can see why it's on your list. It's a good one. It's a good one. And it's written in 2008. So it's coming up on what, 15 years? Mm -hmm. And it was just made into a movie. So it seems to be standing the test of time. Uh, The second book I chose is The Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet by Jamie Ford. It was published in 2009, but I just read it because I could. So in this book, the character Henry Lee is remembering a friend of his from the 1940s who was sent to a Japanese internment camp during World War II. II. Uh, The story goes back and forth between the 1940s and the 1980s, and it follows Henry Lee, who's a fictional character, as he processes his past and his hopes for the future. What I liked about this book is both this one and The Art of Racing in the Rain take place in Seattle, and they both do a really good job of setting the scene. Uh, in different ways, you know, the art of racing in the rain is all about, you know, the rain falling down and race car driving in on slippery roads. But then the hotel on the corner of Bitter and Sweet talks about the Japanese area of town and the Chinese area of town and how they converged. And it does a good job in talking about that convergence, both with geography and with the people. This is a very sweet story, but I think that it was written in a way that I enjoyed the sweetness of it. And I could really see how these characters were hoping for things to come, but I know that Sydney didn't like it. So oh, I did not like this book. It's okay. You're allowed I to love, have your own feelings. I um, love, I loved hearing your expressions and and why you really liked the book. And I'm, and I'm sitting here going, yeah, I can see why that's on your list of why you like this book. Like I get it. I had to read this book because I was required to teach it a few years ago and I didn't, I did not enjoy it. And I think because, because it was fictional and I wanted it. You had to have been in a weird headspace. I wanted it to be a real story instead of a fictional story. And because it was real and it was so formulaic and because it, it, to me, it felt very predictable. I had a hard time being like, oh yeah. But to be fair, I never let my students know when I don't like a book because I'd never want to bias their opinions of it. And so I had a lot of girls and some guys that 
you know, at the end of the, at the end of the year, they were like, oh man, I loved that book. That was my favorite book that we read this year. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad, (laughs) you know, and, but at least it got them to enjoy a book and that's all that matters. And whether another person likes the book or not, if you enjoy the book, it doesn't matter if it gets you reading and it gets you excited about something that otherwise wouldn't be part of your life or part of your world, then who cares? I can definitely see how this book would capture more females than males. Mm -hmm. And just because it is so sweet. It is so, so sweet. For being on the corner of bitter and sweet, it's very sweet. It's definitely more on the sweet side. I'll give you that. So it didn't balance itself with the flavors. It 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 didn't. sweet. Not so much. No, but I was okay with that. I was fine with it. See, I come from a place. I don't really enjoy romances. So I don't do a lot of the sweet, sweet anyway. And so for that to be, I mean, I get that it's not the the entire, you know, it's him thinking back on something that I just, I just. It's okay. You don't have to justify yourself. I just appreciate that you enjoyed it enough that you wanted to talk about it so that other people can form their own opinions and and then they can, you know, send us a a tweet on Twitter or message us on Instagram and tell us why you're right and I'm wrong. Um, (laughs) And that's great. You know, I love that. So we don't, we don't have to like everything everyone reads either. It's true. It's true. We've had a very interesting discussion from two different perspectives on the same book. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, listeners, if you read hotel on the corner of bitter and sweet, (laughs) start a poll, (laughs) please, please message us on Instagram and tell us whether you're team Annie or team Sydney. Or team Nia. Or team Nia, where... who's just in the middle going, folks are great. I just love books. Yeah, right. I've, just, I've not read this book. I, just I watching it, it happen. sounds appealing to me, but um, it sounds like it was really well written. So <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, you could be my team of that's cool, but I'm not going to read it. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Three teams. So three Four teams. against that's cool. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> yeah. No. Tell us what you think. <laughs> yeah. Annie, I believe you have one other book. I do. This one is uh, titled We Were the Lucky Ones by Georgia Hunter. Came out in 2017. This is another World War II book. It, it's, t- it's categorized under historical fiction. Um, and I think that's just because it's based on the author's family. And there were so many different points of view and so many different people that she listened to in gathering the information that I imagine there's a little bit of maybe embellishment or some details that are a little bit off and that to me that's understandable Um, this isn't a journalist writing from newspaper articles this is someone writing about their family and really who knew what color the suitcase was honestly so I think that's why it's categorized under historical fiction Um, so it's alternating points of view between the different members of the Kirk family in different areas of Europe during World War II so each chapter kind of flips around And each of the family members has a different, is in a different area of a different time of life. So there's a young married couple, there's the old parents, there's ones with kids, there's ones who have married outside of the Jewish religion, culture, people, and then there are people who have married within, people who tried to get away, and it's all one big family. And then Georgia Hunter just gathered all their stories and put it into a book. I think this book did a really good job of personalizing each of the family members uh, so that you knew, oh, I'm now in this person's chapter without having to read the heading. The voices are just very different. Uh, So I pulled a quote from it uh, and the quote says, the exercise of deciding where to go next is difficult. 
because next most likely means a new forever. It means thinking about where to settle, where to start over. During the war, their options were fewer, the stakes higher, their mission singular. It was simple in a way. Keep your chin down, your guard up. Stay one step ahead. Stay alive for one more day. Don't let the enemy win. To think about a long-term plan feels complicated and burdensome, burdensome, like flexing an atrophied muscle. The writing in there, if you could see the actual paragraph, some of the sentences are very short and simple to go with the feeling of we're doing this one day at a time, one breath, one, 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 and then they get longer as it gets more complex. And that's how it was throughout the whole book. You could really tell through the writing that her family had, they never thought of a long-term plan. They were always just happy when the short-term plan, which was to stay alive another day, worked. And then they saw each other and then they'd be pulled apart again. And so the writing kind of, uh, it uh, it falls like an accordion, kind of like that and short, long, short, long. And then you really read the joy of, oh, we're back together, but how long is this going to last? So it was, and I mean, the, right. The title gives it away. We were the lucky ones. So you kind of know what's going to happen. But I just thought it was a really, really well done story of triumph really in world war two. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, what are we reading right now? We're picking up next. Nia? I have two on my docket right now. Uh, Shadows of the Dead by Spencer Cope. It is book three in his particular series. We'll see if I get to it. Um, I, <laughs> That's I, always the goal, right? Right. When I devoured each book, when they, they first came, you know, the first book and the second book, I picked them up and they were, you know, gone in two days, but I was really hoping I could find it on audio and I'm still trying to track it down on audio from the library. So that one's on my list. And the other one is called The Path to Kindness and it's edited by James Cruz and it's a poetry collection. So hmm. something I can kind of maybe get through relatively quickly when I have a couple minutes here and a couple minutes there. So that's, that's what's on my list next. What's next on your Sydney? I seriously am staring at two books right now on my shelf and I haven't started either because I can't choose between them. I have the Romanov sisters that follows, you know, the, the Romanovs that were killed by Rasputin and, you know, the whole story of Anastasia, that whole thing. And voices from Stalingrad, and a, a collection of of stories from different people. Apparently, with everything that's happening in Russia or with Russia right now in the Ukraine, my reading conundrum is just following my focus and my concerns because that's what's on my shelf that I'm just like, hmm. Annie, what about you? I am rereading Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, so I can read Ready Player Two because my mm-hmm. husband bought me five blue books for Christmas, and this is the last one. Oh. Yep. They all had blue covers and Ready Player Two is the last one on my list. So you can make your own little display of it had a blue cover. Yes, I can. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes I read books just because they look pretty. I don't know. I've done that. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I, it's why I read <laughs> The Lost of pa- the Lost Apothecary. It looked pretty. And now it's on my list. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Nia's eyes. I appreciate that. I'm excited to see the cover now. <laughs> Well, Well, if you uh, check out our Instagram, it'll be there. Oh, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Friends, thank you for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought. And we'll see you next time when we bring out our favorite books with interesting magic systems to share our stack. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack with each chapter. Literature, the most seductive, the most deceiving, 
the most dangerous of professions. John Morton.